Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. He is a 10-8 round against him. The most dominant thing that has ever happened to him. That was far more dominant than getting kicked in the head in a split second by Leon. It was the most dominant and debilitating and embarrassing and humbling moment of his career. And it took him 60 seconds to behave as though it had never happened.
What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. UFC 294 went down this past weekend. I got quite a bit of storylines that have emerged from Abu Dhabi. Guys, coming up on today's show, the champ, Islam Makhachev, says he wants a shot at Colby Covington. And I'm going to tell you why I have zero interest in Charles Oliveira getting another title shot. Lots to get to today, guys, but let's begin with the big controversy that stole the internet's attention on Saturday. Johnny Walker should have won the fight, and it should have been ruled a disqualification. Now, there is so much talk on the doctor. You you have to understand, when Dana comes into the ring and tells Johnny the referee is inexperienced, he screwed up, we'll figure this out. For you guys to take those words in a literal context, makes you a mark. You are now the fool in the audience that thinks Hulk Hogan just leg dropped and stopped Andre the Giant for the one, two, three. Those words were spoken with one objective, and it was not to break down the match or to break down how the match concluded. Those words were spoken to get Johnny to stop assaulting referees and officials and starting a melee. They were not spoken or meant to be literal in even the smallest of capacities. In the moment that that was said, Dana had not yet been told what the referee's conversation with Johnny was, and Dana revealed that at the post-fight press conference. So this isn't a maybe, this this isn't my opinion. This is on video. This is an absolute fact that when those words were spoken to Johnny, which were designed to do one thing, get Johnny to settle down. The moment that Johnny put his hands on a referee, Johnny no longer has a license to fight anywhere in the world, any way you want to do it. In a traditional setting, the moment that Johnny shoved a referee, he is released from the organization immediately. The moment that a fight is done and an athlete physically accosts another person, including a fellow athlete, including the opponent, a crime has now been committed. It is against the law into the highest degrees in Abu Dhabi. Let me give you an example. If you're in a fight in Abu Dhabi, you both go to jail six months and there's no questions asked. So, if you walk up to me and you punch me, I'm minding my own business, I'm having a good time, I've, I've done nothing, haven't even mentioned, you walk up and you punch me, we both go to jail in Abu Dhabi for six months because I am now involved in the fight. I went there in 2001 for my first time to compete in Abu Dhabi, back when it was real, back when Abu Dhabi took place in Abu Dhabi. It was one of the only things that we were told. We're all on a bus. They get everybody together and said, hey, look, you got to know this, this rule. It's extremely sensitive here. There is no competitive fights. There is no MMA here. It is a struggle to have this grappling. It is so sensitive in terms of any form of physical conflict in Abu Dhabi. At that time, I realized that now they do have MMA. I'm sharing with you, there was a gentleman from Russia, just to really illustrate this point, Sheikh Tahoon, who puts on the entire thing, he is fully responsible. This is the king's son. He is the guy 
that is involved in MMA. You'll hear Abu Dhabi's invested in the UFC. Abu Dhabi's... Sheikh Tahoon invested in the UFC. It is Sheikh Tahoon directly. And he was a huge MMA, huge believer in grappling. He was really interested. And he would bring over the best guys and he would train with them. He, he himself became very skilled within the arts. But he had a gentleman from Russia who moved into his palace with him. He was a full-time trainer. The gentleman from Russia lived there, lived in the house, so that when it was time to train, even if this was only once a day, they could go do the training. Then he'd go about, about his life. That gentleman, the Russian gentleman, was a competitor in the grappling championship that year. When the match ended, the Russian athlete was upset with something and shoved the opponent. After the match, he shoved the opponent. Not a squirmish, not a melee, he broke the guy's nose, something like this. They took him and he lived in the palace with the prince, the king's son. They took him and put him in jail. When he was released from jail, they deported him to Russia immediately. This is how sensitive that is. This is how sensitive that is. I was trying to get a workout. And I'm over there, and I don't know a lot of people. And my good friend Jeff Munson, we're roommates, and we got to get a workout. We don't have anywhere to go. There wasn't a facility. There wasn't a room set up at the hotel. Some of these things, like, you'll know from an MMA atmosphere. We don't have cars. We don't have phones. We can talk to people. We, we go outside. And we were training partners, Jeff and I. We did a lot of Greco-Roman wrestling. So we just did Greco-Roman wrestling on our feet. We're pushing and pulling. We're getting a sweat, right? It's nice and warm out. We're really pushing. We're pulling on each other. We're, we're getting our heart rate up. Couldn't go to the ground. I mean, we, when I said we, got, we went outside, there was like, the, like an alley between buildings. We go into this alley. I mean, we're, we're right on the concrete. And they came up and they warned us, stop. If you get seen, and this was an official, if you get seen, you will be arrested. Get back into your rooms. Do not touch one another here in any capacity in public. So I'm sharing that with you. It's a it's very much a mute point in terms of this. I'm I'm letting you know what a big deal it was, and everything got glossed over. We're not even having these conversations. We're not even having conversations about taking Johnny's license or releasing him from the organization or throwing him in jail. We're not doing any of those things because we can instantly defer to he wasn't himself, he had a concussion. That statement by Dana about the referee, he had not even been told what the conversation was. I'm sharing this with you because that comment that was picked up by microphone and put into you guys now is making you start there as a starting point. That the doctor did something wrong. You must understand just to start with, every doctor in any type of neuroscience or in this case in a cage fight is trained to ask the same question first. No matter where you are in the world, he will say, where are you? There was nothing inappropriate about that question at all. Set that aside. Set that, you, you should not even be there. He never needed to be called into the ring. He never needed to assess this athlete in any capacity. The referee broke the action. Why? Why did the referee break the action? Because a foul had occurred. Can we all agree on that? You, you do understand there's no timeouts in MMA. So if the action is stopped, it's for a reason. 
And at that point, you have two options. Do we have a disqualification or do we have a TKO? We don't do timeouts. So if that match was to be restarted, they likely would have restarted them just like this, just like the fight was started. That would have been wrong. If they restarted the fight and followed the rule that they clearly are not apprised of, you would restart them in as close to the same position as you could. You would put Johnny, who was just fouled, into a negative position which he was in, which is held up against the fence, by the Dagestani fighter on Kalayev. There was not a point taken away. And the point is the biggest deal here. As soon as that action was broken, and I'm watching this, I'm turning to the people I'm watching this, and I say, the referee has not taken a point. They're saying, well, chill, why would that matter? Well, it matters because the point is what signifies that the referee is deeming that to be illegal. If the referee has not taken a point, then he has also signified that it is not illegal, which means if Johnny cannot continue... We are now going to have a no contest. Had he taken the point away, it now represents that it is eligible for disqualification. So when you have people arguing that the ref did this wrong or the ref should have given him five minutes, almost anybody, regardless of what happened, could fight after five minutes. I mean, just by example, if a, if a guy gets knocked out within our sport, if you give him five minutes, he can likely continue. It doesn't have anything to do with it whatsoever. We have extremely few rules in the sport. Don't bite the guy and don't kick the son of a bitch when he's down. There are very, very few rules. This happened earlier in the evening with Tim Elliott's match, not once, but twice. And it was observed and it was seen and it was stopped and there was no point taken away. It's a very baffling thing. And because you overheard some audio that was designed to do one thing, calm Johnny down. Johnny's just putting on a show. This is just a show. He got exactly what he was attempting to do. But that's not relevant either. There is nothing wrong with being fouled and taking the win. There's four ways to win a fight. And people always want to act like there's not. There's a Warriors. I'm going to let them be Warriors. We're going to go to a decision, or we're going to go to a submission, or we're going to go to a knockout. Well, how about we go to number four, which is on that exact same page, disqualification. If you can frustrate your opponent and get him to cheat, you can now beat him. There's no shame in it. Don't talk about he should have had five minutes and he could have recovered. Don't talk about any of that. Because now you're talking about that Johnny should have to go back out there after being fouled, whether he's okay or whether he's acting okay or whether he's giving her the peer pressure of the crowd, whatever it is, you're talking about him having to go back into the same position and continuing a match after he was illegally fouled with a shot to the head. It wouldn't matter if he was 100% and didn't change him. It wouldn't matter if a shot to the head was like Popeye with his spinach and it made him better. Illegal move happened. The referee broke the action because he saw it and knew it was inappropriate, but he didn't call it illegal. That's the mistake here. The doctor did nothing wrong. The doctor got in and asked the exact appropriate question. Now, if you're a doctor and you can tell a guy is playing along, a guy is playing it up, that doesn't change anything. If he's tagging you in as his tag team partner, Hey, Doc, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on here. 
I got cameras on me though and I need to look brave. It doesn't matter. You still rely and defer to that. Not to mention the doctor's opinion was not relevant. It was not the only person's opinion. And this is another thing people don't know. They call it a doctor stoppage. The referee is the only one that can stop the fight, not the doctor. The doctor can say he can't continue and the referee can continue the match. Moreover, the doctor can say he can continue and the athlete can say, no, I can't. It's his choice. It is fully his choice. It's very difficult and you won't find examples where it goes the other way, where a doctor says you can't continue. The guy goes, yeah, actually I can. And the ref and the fighter work together and go, hey, doc, get out of here. You're an experience. You won't find those examples. I'm just sharing with you what the actual rule says. The referee is the only one that can stop the fight. The referee is the only one that can call the doctor in to even seek his opinion. And then the referee chooses if he goes with that opinion or not. So now you have a deference of responsibility. I'm in charge. It's my job, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find somebody else and I'm going to put it on them. And it worked beautifully. It's all been put on the doctor. The doctor did perfect. Wherever you are, that's what you ask the guy. It is not within your wheelhouse to have interpreters or to know what was being said. It is not within your wheelhouse to understand his language or what his IQ is. You're assessing that fighter in any way that you want. If he said, where are you? And Johnny said, I am in the octagon in Abu Dhabi. It's three in the afternoon on Saturday and I'm taking on Uncle Live who just need me in the head. The doctor can stop the fight. He can suggest to the referee that the fight be stopped. You're going down the wrong road. You're going down the wrong road, talking about the five minutes or the inexperience or the questions that were asked. The doctor was called in by the referee because of a technique that was believed to have a strong potential, and it turns out it was correct, of throwing him off mentally. He took a knee to the head and he took it illegally. That's all you have to know. The referee under what he did would have restarted the fight. A fight that he stopped because of a blow in a sport that does not have timeouts. That's a disqualification. All right, we got to go back and take a look at Kamar Usman. And I'm talking about Usman specifically, not just the fight. Kamar Usman comes out after the fight, and he's doing an interview with the beautiful... Megan Olivi. Kamara, first off, looks great. I mean, he's got this white suit on. He just, right? I mean, the guy, he just, he, this guy could be a model. He was so dejected. He was so down on himself to the point of depression. In that moment, his heart was broken. Had he not been on camera and had to hold it together like a professional, he would have been in a hotel room sobbing into a pillow. Hold that thought. In the year 2000, the Olympic Games were in Sydney, Australia. Terry Brands of the United States got a bronze medal. And he was hurting so bad in that moment. And he's being shown around the world. They're playing the Iranians' anthem. And Terry is feeling dejected and like a failure. 
Fast forward 23 years to today, he is the associate head coach of the University of Iowa, where his son is not only the team captain, he is an All-American. Terry has coached national champions. At one point in his career, was assigned to be the director of the entire freestyle program. I mean, this is a cup, this is wrestling royalty. And to this day, you cannot bring up the bronze medal from the Olympics in 2000 without emotionally changing him just at the words. And that's not right. That's sad, quite frankly. That, that is sad that he would hold himself to that standard all these years later as opposed to looking back and embracing a lifetime achievement. And I'm making that comparison to what I saw with Kamar Usman. I've seen Kamar Usman, who goes into a weight class he's never contested before. He goes up, coming off of two losses, he goes up against a gentleman who has never tasted defeat. I don't what you got a guy with two losses taking on a guy who's got 11 wins. If Jemiah's fought 12 times, 13 times, then he's got 12 or 13 wins. Whatever the record is, and zero, right? Momentum's a very real thing. You generally take a guy that lost against another guy that lost, a guy that won against another guy that won. The match never even should have happened on paper. It happened because Kamar Usman is that guy. He doesn't do those kind of math. He puts the pass behind him and he, and he goes out. Those two losses had nothing to do with it. The weight class had nothing to do with it. The short notice had nothing to do with it. Here's an opportunity to compete. I'm a competitor. He has the worst first round in the history of his career. Kamara Usman, if you remove the Leon matches, right? And we can agree, those were a little bit short. Like, you're not going to judge a guy's career based on those, right? The head kick hurt around the world when you're just about to be. Like, there was some weird stuff there. If you take those matches out, though, you have to go back to Covington. If you remove those matches in Covington, you would have to go back six years to find a round that Kamar Usman has lost. A round. He has never had a 10-8 round against him. He gets put in the worst position that he could be put in. Because with all the experience that Kamar Usman has, and the ultimate fighter winner, and the world champion, and the main event of Madison Square Garden, and a future Hall of Famer, and the first guy to be compared with the great George St. Pierre, of all those things, he had never been down. He has never been pinned up against the fence. He has never had somebody putting him in a spot like this against his will, and he stayed calm. And he protected himself. And when the horn went off, he went to his corner, he regrouped, and he came out in the second round like a completely different fighter. Only the champions, only the best of the best can do that. He has a 10-8 round against him, the most dominant thing that has ever happened to him. That was far more dominant than getting kicked in the head in a split second by Leon. It was the most dominant and debilitating and embarrassing and humbling moment of his career, and it took him 60 seconds to behave as though it had never happened. And he comes out and he wins the next frame. How's that for making a difference? He is the most dominant thing that ever happened in his career. 
he come back and wins the very next frame. He then goes into the third fight, right? I mean, we're going to have a winner and we're going to have a loser. We don't do the participation awards and, you know, your little feelings and all these kinds of things at, at this level. I, I do understand that. But there is times where you don't lose. Time just ran out. And those times are when your will and spirit are never broken. That's it. And it doesn't happen very often. Those cage fights, as much as we want to tell you they're knocking somebody out or submitting somebody, they're about breaking the other guy's will or he breaks yours. Talking him out of and convincing him at some point through physicality that he doesn't want this as much as you do. That is what these matches are about. That never happened. That never even came close to happening. Time ran out. To call the first round a 10-8, you can do. A 10-8 at some point within the round is supposed to be eligible for stoppage. Where there could have been a moment within the round that the ref could have waved it off TKO because this is so dominant and bad. He didn't do it, so now the judges are going to come in. They're going to kind of fix that. That is what a 10-8 is in a broad stroke. You can also have a 10-8 through absolute dominance, which is measured with what I did to you versus what you did to me. Kamar Usman had a big zero in the column of what he did. He did not mount a single piece of offense. So 10-8 is not inappropriate. But it was generous. I'm not here to argue that point. It was generous. Had they called that a 10-9, nobody today would be sitting around arguing that it should have been a 10-8. Now, in all fairness, they call it a 10-8, and I don't know that anybody's sitting around arguing that it could be a 10-9. I just think it's open for conversation. Michael Bisping, who is as good as anybody about assessing what he's looking at and relaying that to the audience, thought Kamara won the fight. He thought he won the fight, thought he lost the first round, won the next two. Michael did not agree that it should have been a 10-8. He thought Kamar Usman should have won that fight. And I only share with you what an incredible job. What an incredible performance. And to find out and hear from Kamar that he's down on himself, that he doesn't look at himself as a guy with the heart and the bravery that took a risk against an undefeated, on short notice, weight class he has never competed in, put up so much resistance and so such resilience that a former world champion and current Hall of Famer has publicly said he thought that he won the match and, Mar- and Kamar Usman's going to be down on himself? That's not right, and that's not what I saw. I've long been impressed with Kamar Usman, and there is an old adage that your greatest victory will come in defeat. I not only am not down on Kamar Usman, I believe what he did Saturday was amongst the great performances that he's ever had. I have talked to you guys about online data privacy before. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to protect your online privacy. I'm on the road a lot, and I often have to connect to hotel and airport internet, but I don't do it without connecting to a VPN, a virtual private network. 
One of the many benefits of using a VPN is to secure your connection on public Wi-Fi so you can browse in full privacy. Hackers have many methods to steal your data on public hotspots, but with a VPN, your online traffic is invisible to them. Also, government agencies, marketers, and internet service providers all love to track and collect your browsing history, messages, and other private data. This is not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. The best way to hide your data while online is using NordVPN. I believe privacy is a fundamental right and NordVPN helps to protect that right along with your data. As we head into the holiday season, avoid targeted pricing, fake websites, and bait and switch attacks with a VPN. Shop securely. Knowing your credit card details will be safe from snoopers even on public networks. Grab NordVPN's exclusive deal now at nordvpn.com slash and get extra subscription time. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee at nordvpn.com slash C-H-A-E-L S-O-N-N-E-N. That's NordVPN.com slash Chael Sonnet. Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring our show. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm? Wearing the wrong pair of shoes. Guys, out here in the Pacific Northwest, it happens to us often. I love to take my kids out. I love to take the dogs along with us. We go on nice long walks through the neighborhood. But I hate throwing on clunky rain boots. And you know what I hate even more? Wet socks. What if I told you I came across a shoe that is lightweight, breathable, and waterproof? Not to mention, it's pretty good looking. Vessi has mastered the creation of waterproof functionality and style. These shoes outsmart the weather and keep me ready for anything, rain or shine. I appreciate that I don't have to change my shoes just because the weather can't make up its mind. My Vessi shoes keep up with my day-to-day -day outings style and the weather most of the country is about to head into the rainy season so why don't you head over to vessi.com chael use the promo code chael that's going to get you 15 percent off your order you're welcome for that by the way guys that's vessi.com chael v-e-s-s-i dot com slash chael use the code chael save the 15 percent don't wait until your socks are wet be prepared and grab a pair question I get asked all the time. What's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep. And honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. 
go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com and use the promo code CHAIL. Jemayev part two. You got a problem with that? You got any problem with that? Part two, they're going to do it for five rounds. Do you have any part of you that doesn't want to see that? Is there any part of you that has a stronger urge to see Usman fight somebody else? Is there any party that has a stronger urge to see Jemayev fight somebody else? Usman versus Jemayev part two for five rounds. How does that sit with you? Probably sits just fine, doesn't it? Yeah. And willingness is so much to this sport that needs to be recognized and it also needs to be rewarded. Got asked a question is where this is coming from. My partner Ryan asked me, where does Usman go from here? Should he go back to 170? Is there a path down there for for what he wants? Should he stay at 85? What what is it that he should do? And, And that, of course, is a very... Tough question, right? Finding those paths is a very hard thing. If you find your way into a championship match and or contention for a championship match and it doesn't go your way, your age will be directly related to the probability of if you're going to find yourself in that shot and spot again. Now, it's going to be Chamaya versus Strickland, okay? What I'm suggesting for you and the reason I ask you, would you like to see Kamara versus Jemayev again, particularly if it was for five rounds? The whole reason I asked you that is I want Usman to be the backup fighter for Strickland versus Jemayev. Now, there would be no question that he would qualify to go straight in against Strickland. That wouldn't even be a question because they fought before and Usman won the match. But with the controversy surrounding this fight, and in all fairness, I didn't see it. I didn't see the controversy. thought Jemiah beat him fair and square. But I still acknowledge the controversy exists. I still acknowledge it was an awesome match. I still acknowledge it was very competitive. And we all acknowledge that Kamar Usman was just as strong. Right? If you were to compare the way those two fought, Jemiah versus Usman, you get a whole bunch of different opinions. As a matter of fact, we officially got three opinions and they were all different opinions, right? We didn't have one single judge that agreed with his other judges. We had three different scores. So we, we, we can see that. But if you were to do an assessment of their post-fight interviews, that was 10-9 Usman. One gentleman was talking about fighting in a calm and concise way because he had plenty of energy and oxygen pumping blood to his brain. And another guy was so exhausted, it was very difficult for him to even speak. I don't fault them. I don't care who's more tired than the other one. I don't care at all. You should have no energy left when a fight is done. I've seen guys come out of fights with somebody go, he looked out of shape. He looked really tired. He had better be tired. He had better have left everything he's got out there. So I don't fault Chemayev, but if we are going to do an assessment of the performance, there was two performances. There was the fight, and then there was the interview. One of them could have gone another round. One of them could not. I'm just sharing. It's a very interesting thing. And this whole idea that Usman shouldn't be given an opportunity... 
when he comes in on short notice and does battle to that degree? I'm not sure in a regular landscape that a rematch isn't exactly what we'd be pushing for. We just don't have that as an opportunity right now. It's not an option on the table because we said before the match what was going to happen with the victor. So now that we know that the victor, being Shemaev, is going to draw on Deshaun Strickland, we can't even have the conversation of a rematch. But had we not been given that piece of information, I think it's exactly what we'd be talking about today. I think it's all that we'd be talking about today. I think if that was not a number one contender's match, if we if, if a week ago we found out Adesanya and Strickland part two and it's coming up in February, just by example, after seeing what we just saw, I believe we would be demanding a main event, thus making it five rounds, rematch between Usman and Chemaev 185 with a full camp for both of them. That's what I think the conversation would be. And I don't know how likely it is that Usman would ever get in, but it was unlikely that he was going to fight Chemaev at 185 pounds in a number one contenders match. In fact, it was an impossibility 13 days ago. So it's one of those spots, right? If you're picking your path, if you're going to go down to 170, and then you're just going to wait for this right opportunity. You're talking about a short notice fight. Well, how are you going to get ready for a short notice fight all the time? You got to cut weight. You got to pull weight. It's just not realistic at 170 pounds. Maybe he's got a different idea at 185 pounds. Perhaps. But it doesn't sound as though anybody's going to get the opportunity for number one contendership now. It's going to be Chemayev versus Strickland. You do have a massive question. What do you do with Duplessis, just for example? What do you do? I don't believe that there's a scenario where he just sits on ice and comes back in. Duplessis himself was not an extremely sought-after fighter. He was one half of an extremely sought-after match, but that was a specific opponent. I just think Duplessis is going to have to do something. That's all I'm suggesting for you. I think there's a lot of really good options. I think the correct answer there is Paulo Costa. But the specific question that we're trying to debate during this very segment is what is it that Kamara Usman should do next? And before you start talking about what should a guy do next, we do need to establish what could he do? What are viable options? A massive opportunity presented itself 12 days ago. One 185-pounder stepped up to do it. I should say one athlete stepped up to do it. They actually couldn't find anybody within the weight class. Not one guy within the weight class. And I know it's been revealed to us that Jared Cannonary agreed to do it, then hurt his MCL. I, I do understand that. But it's the old adage, if a tree falls in the woods, right? If, if nobody hears it, does it make a sound? So, so the fact that after the fact, we find out that Jared had agreed to do it, it's the same thing as he did, right? Not a single 185-pounder did it to the point that they had to go to a 170-pounder. I think that 170-pounder should be rewarded. I think he's in the right spot. I think we need to get a date. For Strickland versus Chemayev. I think we need to understand all the 85-pounders are scared and they're not going to show up. They're not going to offer to do it. They're not going to want to do it. Even if they get put in the spot, if the, if the time actually comes, they're not going to step in the cage. But you can't say that about Usman, considering he's already stepped in the cage with both guys, the red corner and the blue corner, Strickland and Chemayev. If that came out and got announced... The Kamara Usman was the backup 
for Jemiah versus Strickland. That would be very big news. That would sit just fine with the MMA community. And there is nobody that you could put in that position and have that announcement more well-received than Kamar Usman. And it's unlikely. I'd like to do parody. I'd like to have change. But it's unlikely because you hadn't thought of it until now. I think it's a solid idea. I'd appreciate your support. So Islam Makhlchev is talking about going up to 170 pounds and taking on Colby Covington if Colby is to defeat Leon Edwards. Now, for me, that's very interesting. And it's very interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, the idea of letting Islam leave 155 and go to 170 would get squashed, spit on, thrown out the door, phone hung up. It would go nowhere. But it is very difficult to tell Islam he does not have the right to challenge at 170 when he accepted not one but two challenges himself. It changes everything, in my opinion. I also think it adds some flair to Colby versus Leon. Like, there's a number of reasons to watch that fight, but why would we ever want to stop, right? Whether you got grudge or you got world championship, you got main event or you got end of the year, whatever, whatever you got, just keep on throwing reasons on. That makes good sense. And that would be very interesting to me. Now, moreover, I want to make sure that you understand how we got to this point. Colby is going to fight Leon. Whoever wins that fight draws in to Blah Muhammad. So Colby came out in an interview three weeks ago and said with a win, he wants to fight Islam. Colby didn't say that to get something going with Islam or because he's got some kind of heat with Islam. Colby's number one motivation was to find another potential opponent to stick this in Blahal's ass. This was done out of pettiness. And the backstory on that is Colby was stated after, right there the night of, in England, after Leon defeated Usman and ended that trilogy, Colby was announced the number one contender. Everybody at 170 got it and stood down. That's the way it goes, right? Once you get the announcement, that's it, and we all move forward. Well, not so fast. Blahal did not accept it. As a matter of fact, he tried to steal it. He tried to take it from him. Blahal did everything right, by the way. Bahal did a great job. There was nothing wrong with what he did, but he gained momentum. He gained momentum to the point that Leon delayed the Colby fight. I mean, Leon's only going to fight twice this year. He's supposed to fight three times a year. He's only going to fight twice this year. He delayed it, and he delayed it because one of the opportunities was to find something going with Mohammed. So now you have Mohammed who didn't respect the announcement. He's saying, ah, no, not so fast. But he actually got teamwork from the champ himself. They found each other. They agreed to fight. In any other scenario, that fight would be made. The only difference was a promise was made to Colby. So now you've got a stubbornness factor. But don't act like Colby didn't see that. Don't act like he's just going to go and hand you some kind of a favor. 
So he's going to have a real hard time at 170. He's trying to find something interesting. He's trying to drum it up. So he goes after Islam, having no idea if this would work or not. And the only chance that Colby has of the Islam idea working is if Islam himself likes it and responds. And he has. <laughs> right? So it's an interesting spot. It's a, it's a very interesting spot. And before you think you know what's going on, before you think, oh, Islam's not going to be able to go up and challenge at 170 and be a champ champ, well, that was actually not something Colby said he had to do. I mean, not for nothing. We're just talking, we're just having fun. But Colby never once said he wasn't willing to go down to 155. He never specifically said where the weight was. He just said after he gets that belt, what he's going to do next. And as far as opening the door and having conversation, I do think that it's rather appealing. It seems like there's enough things to do at 155 with Islam. It does seem like there's enough things to do. There doesn't seem to be anything that we can do that we could then convince ourselves would be remotely competitive. You have Charles Oliveira, who has finished Benny. He has finished Dustin. He is finished, Justin. He is finished, Michael. Not just beat him. And he is not remote. So if he's the if he's the best of the bunch, he's not remotely competitive with Islam. So I think we could still have some fun. I think we still move the needle. I, I'm certainly not saying that there's matches and some parody that we wouldn't want to see, but it's always a challenge to get anybody to watch. I mean, right, as great as John Jones is, he fights in front of a whole bunch of fans dressed up as empty seats. He can't sell out an arena. He is some of the lowest box offices in champion history. It's not a knock on him. It's actually just because he's so good and dominant. Roy Jones Jr. went through the same thing in the 90s. Roy Jones will still go and take fights. He was the best fighter of a decade, nothing but main events. But he never had a money fight. He couldn't make any money. Couldn't make any money. I mean, he, he still got to go and, and fight to this day. It wasn't a knock on him. He was compelling. It was interesting. He rapped on the way to the ring. His sponsorships by Nike. Like, he did everything that he could possibly do. His show butter was in there. He looked cool. He was flashy. Cut an interview. But he never had an opponent that did the same thing. He never did the, had an opponent that could match that or could get any kind of an interest. So I just share for you that there are problems down there at 155 pounds. They're not huge. We can work through them. But there is something to the idea of Covington versus Islam. And these things have a very funny way, right? Once that seed gets planted, they have a very funny way of growing. They have a very funny way of sprouting. And it's already happening to a degree. I'm not bullish on this. I wouldn't even predict for you that it is going to happen. I'm just reminding you as to why this seed got planted. And all of a sudden, a topic that Colby brought up in an off-brand interview over a month ago is still here. And that off-brand digital interview has now been responded to on ESPN by the champion of the world, Islam Makhlachev. It's compelling, and it's very interesting. And I don't know what Islam and his relationship with the weight cut of 155 is like. I don't know. I don't think it's pleasant. And you also have Uzman Nurmagomedov. 
Bellator's champion, completely undefeated, who by rumor could be finding his way to the organization soon. And that question was even posed to Islam. If Usman came over, would you move up a weight class to avoid each other? He didn't answer it directly. But if Makhlchev wanted to move up to 170, I mean, you you for sure could see, if, if Colby was to beat Leon, you for sure could see Makhlchev versus Colby if Makhlchev dropped the 55-pound belt, if he dropped it and announced that he was moving up. That's the only way for sure you can get it. But that is what Makhlchev would do if he fully believed that he could beat Colby. He's not going to go up to 70, get the belt, and then go defend down at 55. Nobody does that. You always defend the heavier belt. Of course you do. Make life better. Make it more comfortable. Of course you do. It's exactly what Volk would have done, right? If Volk would have beat Islam on Saturday, it already would have announced that he's not fighting Ilya. He's not going back to 145 pounds ever. So there is a way. And if that way happens, I mean, just by chance, just if that way happens, I don't ever want you to forget how this got started in the first place. It got started out of spite, not to Islam, not to Khabib, not even to Ali. It got started out of spite to Muhammad. And that in the business, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a receipt. I am not for Charles Oliveira fighting Islam. And I'm not for it for a number of reasons, but but mainly I despise the notion of making somebody fight that doesn't want to. And there's a personal tie into that. I was on a bus one time, and we're headed from Portland to Boise, going to a tournament called uh, the Meridian Open, Meridian, Idaho. And it's all bo- it's all boys, free time. You can only play so many cards. So the boys decide it's a good idea to get two guys to fight. They're all friends. Everybody, everybody on the bus is friends, right? It's a team. So these two guys, and I'll leave their name out of it, get, get pushed into a fight. They don't want to fight at all. And the other boys wrap him up and they get it to keep going. And and one of them even says, Hey, I don't want to fight him. He's my friend. He's my friend. Then the other one starts giving into the crowd a little bit. And he starts getting that look on his face. And the guy's go, Whoa, what's going on here? I thought we're for, what are we going to do? And the one that didn't want to do it beats the other one's ass. Beats the one that decided he did want to do it. But, but then they break it up and he says, guys, please, this is my friend. He said it again. But the crowd got behind the other one, and the other one comes out, and he's going hard. So now this one has, and they're throwing punches. And this is very light. I mean, we were children, and nobody was hurt, but I still saw it, and it was gross, and it was disgusting. To see other people pushing somebody into a fight that he doesn't want to do. And that is the only reason I'm against Charles going in with Islam. He didn't want to do it the first time. He made that known. He tried to do something else. I'm talking about Charles. He started talking about the location. He started talking about how it's unfair. He started talking about if it's going to get to a judge's decision. And everybody that knows fighting and knows Islam versus Charles going, hey, Charles, don't worry about that. 
you're not going to make it 25 minutes with this guy. Like, like, I mean, just put that out of your head. And that's what it was really about. He knew that. He, he knew this is a bad match. I'm not giving Charles a hard time here. Because when I say I'm against the fight, okay, when they try to do it the second time, there's somebody somewhere in the world that wants to see that match. And that somebody has tremendous influence. That was not what the North American audience was pining to see. The North American audience, as a matter of fact, if you wanted to bring in Benny Darush and put him against Islam, they would have supported that much more. Even coming off of the TKO defeat to Charles, we still would have said, yeah, but he won eight in a row. Just put him in there. That's the guy. That's the right one. That's the match you promised before. Just put him in there. Andy wants to know. Just put him in there. That somebody still wants to see that fight. So when they go to rematch it, DraftKings lets the world know there's nothing to see here. They changed the odds from 3-1 to one to 4-1. to one. Charles did three interviews on Islam that I saw. In all three, he said, I'm not going to do the fight. He even made it about the date. He even said, I could, I could do it another time, but I can't do it then. But he got very specific, said, I'm not going to do the fight. To this day, I have not seen an interview where Charles said he was. Now, it might be out there. Don't think that you have, you have to shove that up my ass. I, I'm well aware that there's things that can happen that I don't see. But I'm being very candid with you. That three times I heard Charles say, I'm not going to fight Islam in October. I have never heard Charles say that he was going to fight Islam in October. I know we got an announcement. I know it came out. And we were told that bout agreements were signed. I didn't get that announcement from Charles. I have never heard that about agreement was signed by Charles. Now, it's over, right? The opportunity is gone. But history doesn't change. There wasn't a scenario where Charles was then going to be the world champion. Like, like everything is fine. It's difficult for me to argue that Charles shouldn't have the opportunity. When I look at the big three, Gaethje, Poirier... Darush. And one thing those guys all have in common is they all got beat by Charles and they all got beat by Charles handily. In fact, they all got finished by Charles. So I am not speaking to a commentary on Charles's skills at all. This is a wonderful, wonderful fighter. There was nothing competitive in the first fight which Charles knew before the fight, which is why he said, I don't want to do the fight. There was going to be nothing competitive the second time, which Charles knew, which is why he said three times, I'm not going to do the fight. Now that Islam is back available, Charles has yet again made a statement. And the statement is, I'm not going to fight Islam. He's going after Conor McGregor and he's doing that publicly. He has no chance of getting the Conor McGregor fight, but it is such a Hail Mary pass. Give me anything except that guy. Why are we not listening? What is it from the past that you think you know that I don't? What about Charles saying three times I'm not going to fight Islam in October? Did you not understand? What about Charles? 
between Islam and Volk, which was 48 hours ago, and right now, and he's already made a statement that he does not want Islam. In fact, he would like McGregor. What is it that you're not understanding? It's gross. To put somebody into a fight and say, you have to do this, to put somebody in a fight, no matter how many millions or what the opportunity is, he's made it very clear, I don't want it. What about that do you not feel that you need to listen to? And what about that do you feel, regardless of who beat who or what the rankings are, what is it that you feel about him saying, I don't want that you think he should hold that spot when you have Gaethje standing there saying, I'll do it. I want to do it. I'm planning to do it. I'm in line to do it. I'm supposed to do it after Charles does it, but I'm still in line. All the same, my next fight is for the title. Why would you not just do it now? This is a very baffling case. Charles did not want to fight Islam in Abu Dhabi. The great irony of that is nobody wanted Charles to fight Islam at all, except somebody from Abu Dhabi. That fight doesn't take place. It doesn't even get offered if it's not in Abu Dhabi. Charles is now saying he'd like McGregor because that's the money fight. Charles is no longer champion. He does not get participation points. He does not get cut in on the pay-per-view. It would not matter if it was Connor. It would not matter if it was you. He gets paid the same, but doesn't appear to know that, which is concerning. The bigger fight, of course, is a non-title fight. Of course, it's McGregor. For anybody that you put against him, you've stated the obvious. Why does Charles think he would be rewarded? Is he not aware of what he just did to the company one week ago? I mean, if they don't get Volkanovsky to step up, do you understand the difference in business on this card. And then it gets revealed to us it was supposed to be Jared Cannonier. So now you got Jared Cannonier going in to fight Chemayev, which, right? Imagine if Volk doesn't step up. Now, this whole card's a disaster, and that would be blamed on Charles Sherwood. But because you get the right guys that stepped in and did the right thing, and business is great, all of a sudden it's all moonlight and canoes. It's an extremely bizarre case. Charles is a wonderful fighter. A very special and talented guy. He told us three times before pulling out of the Islam fight. Three times he told us, I'm not going to do the fight. Islam is now available. Charles is next in line. This has been stated. It was only been two days, guys, and Charles has already told us, I don't want that fight. I want Conor McGregor. Stop forcing people to fight that don't want to. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Shout out to Zach on Spotify, who says I'm down over 100 pounds in six months, and I listen to your podcast while I work out. Thank you, Chael. Well, thank you back, Zach, and great job on the 100 pounds. Keep the work up. I would appreciate further updates. Guys, I'm going to be back for more. That's going to be on Friday. Tell that I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.